Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know the drill. Good optics are a must, whether you're running a red dot sight on your turkey gun or you're running some binos this turkey season, or if you're shopping for a new rifle scope. Vortex Optics needs to be the first place you look. They got something for everybody, whether you're wanting to get some entry-level glass or if you're wanting top-of-the-line glass and really good stuff, they got that too. They also have an unbeatable VIP warranty. If something happens to your Vortex Optic, you can send it in. They will fix it or replace it. Best warranty in the business, bar none. Head on over to MidwayUSA.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on your order of any Vortex product. Again, that's MidwayUSA.com. Go use that promo code SOUTHERN. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the show. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website MeadowCreekMounts.com and use the code SOUTHERN at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. Now I'm a southern child, southern child down in Macon, Everybody knows where I was born. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story, Turkey Edition. Uh, this is going to be the very first listener success story uh, of the season uh, covering turkeys. We actually had seven listener success stories come in uh, over the weekend, so we're going to start knocking these out. Probably for all turkey season, we're going to be dropping three episodes a week. Uh, so we hope you guys love us. If not, um, well, you know, that is what it is. But um, we're going to be dropping listener success stories, and it's really interesting, especially when I've talked to these guys and figured out 
what really clicked for them with certain episodes, certain topics that helped them be successful. And the great thing is a couple of these listener success stories, it is the actual first turkey that this person has ever killed for some of them. Now, for this week, we've got Mr. Uh, Jeff Foose on uh, from Alabama who had some uh, success opening day in really terrible conditions. And he talks about kind of things that he'd learned from the show and, you know, applied them to get in a spot that was holding birds and, and holding a gobbler uh, due to high winds, uh, which is something that we all dealt with in Alabama opening day. But the whole reason for the listener success story is to highlight listeners who have had success using tips and tactics from the podcast uh, and gone out there and had success. We did all deer season, and the deer turnout was unbelievable. Uh, you know, we didn't even get close to having as many guys on as we should have uh, just because there was no way for us to do that many episodes for you guys. But doing one a week for all deer season was really impactful, and we're doing the same for turkeys. So if you're a listener right now, and you have success using tips and tactics uh, from the guests and from the show, uh, shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or hit us up on our contact page on our website, uh, which is the southerndoorsmen.com uh, and shoot us an email letting us know with of course some photos uh, you know what was impactful for you you know what episodes were impactful and what tips were impactful for you that helped you have success because maybe you'll be picked as a listener success story for this spring but other than that we appreciate everybody tuning in for this episode again share it with a buddy and hopefully we can have you on as a future listener success story of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast now let's get to the episode all right, guys, and on uh, this week's uh, listener success story uh, of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast, I'm actually really excited about this kicking off for turkey season. I've got Jeff Fuson on from Alabama. Jeff, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing really well. I mean, I'll, listen, I'm not doing as good as you. You know, I ain't killed a bird yet, so I'll just put that out there right now. <laughs> but that's the reason why we got you on the show, kind of talking about this and uh, kind of how, you know, certain things kind of played a factor into it. But, um, you know, one thing I want to kind of kick off, since we are now doing the, stru- uh, the uh, not the short report, but doing the listener success stories for turkey season, uh, I'm really kind of interested in kind of figuring out, you know, a little bit more about you, but really kind of what episodes played a factor for you and kind of what you've kind of learned from it. But to kick us off, Jeff, uh, kind of what region of Alabama do you live in? And, uh, you know, how long have you been a listener of the podcast? Yeah, um, I live down in here at Calera. And now mo- the, the lease that I hunt the most is right down the road in Columbiana. Uh, so most of the time I'm spending my time here in Shelby County. As far as the podcast goes, now I was out at Oak Mountain, I believe two years ago now at the archery range. I'm sighting in my bow, getting ready for deer season. And I ran into Andrew. And me and him were just talking about tree saddles. He had one. He pulled one out of his truck, and he was testing it out there at the archery range, actually. And I had heard about him, um, but never used one before. And, and, and he let me sit in it and check it out, and then he told me about the podcast. And I've been listening to you guys ever since. Awesome, dude. That's pretty cool. I got to ask, um, you know, were you always kind of like a podcast listener? Did you already listen to, like, other shows, or is that, like, the first podcast you really started paying attention to? You know, this is by far the one I followed the closest. Before that, you know, when I'd go on long road trips, I'd listen to a couple here and there, like the uh, the Mediator podcast with Stephen Rinella. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like that one. And, and a couple other outdoors podcasts. But, you know, you guys have some really good stuff going on here, and I've been following you all pretty closely since then. Awesome. Appreciate that. One thing that's kind of funny, which I'm going to put, plug this out there. So I was going through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru, and this was about a month and a half ago, and I had my window rolled down, <laughs> and all of a sudden, it, I, I guess, I don't know. You said, well, all of a sudden I said, hey, are you, I don't know, you said, hey, are you Jacob Myers, something like that. And I looked up, and I was like, yeah. I was like, I do not know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I've seen your face a couple of times on the uh, on the Facebook page, and like I said, you've got a, a really recognizable voice. So I was like, I, I was telling my wife, I was like, I swear, I think that's that guy I listened to. And she's, she, I always have him on in the car. So she knows about y'all as well. She's like, you should tell him, you should tell him. 
<laughs> like I was mentioning to you earlier, I, I left. I was like, I just inflated that guy's ego way too much. But uh, you no, know, I thought that was funny. I went, I was fifty fifty on whether it was you or not. So I'm glad it was. Oh, dude, yeah, it was hilarious. I, dude, I, again, I, I called Andrew. I was like, man, some some random guy in the drive thru said, you know, he had talked to you because you said you had no, you talked met Andrew at the uh, at the range and everything. And it's like, yeah, man, some guy just yeah. said, hey, dude, loved your podcast, everything going with the drive thru. And I was like, I was so confused. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But anyways, dude, kind of get off that. It's just a funny story. Um, you know, you've been listening to the show for quite a while. I'm sure you've been listening to quite a few turkey episodes too, especially from last year. But one thing oh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious with, what turkey episodes have been like impactful for you? I mean, is there any specific episodes that you listen to, um, especially in the past, that were like, I mean, that was something I really could take away from? Yeah, man. So, uh, well, I'll start with a little background on me. So I'm a, first and foremost, I'm a big deer hunter. Um, but I have been turkey hunting for probably about five to six years now. I had a buddy take me out, you know, six years ago and get me on a bird, and I've been hooked ever since. So I always look forward to the springtime. Um, now, as, as far as episodes go, uh, on that note, you know, one of the recent ones you put out, I think it was um, 233. No, it was 226, Fundamentals of Turkey Hunting, with uh, where you talked to Shane Simpson. That one was really good for me because over the last five or six years of hunting, you know, I've only put about three birds on the ground. And uh, I've been, I've been, you know, it's been a lot of trial and error for me learning how to get on these birds. So while while I knew a lot about what he talked about, it was a it was a good reminder of some of the fundamentals, and it helped me out a lot with this lease because I joined it last summer right before deer season. So I got a good lay of the land while I was deer hunting, but this is my first season out there turkey hunting. And some of the tips that he went over as far as just simple scouting helped me a ton. Uh, the lease is full of creek bottoms. Um, and even though we've had a lot of rain, there, there's not a lot of areas to just look for large congregations of tracks and all that. So I was able to walk a lot of those uh, sandy creek bottoms, find a lot of areas the turkeys were crossing, just like he mentioned in there, um, and just focusing on water. Like you said, turkeys got to have it. Even though we've been getting a lot of rain here in Alabama over the last, last month or so, uh, you know, I know those birds really like to focus, especially early on in the season, down in those creek bottoms. So just hearing him talk about that really helped me kind of get a starting point on where to start looking for these birds because I saw them all the time during deer season. I mean, almost every time I got in a deer stand, I saw turkeys, but as we all know, they're not always in the same areas come springtime. Um, so that helped a lot. You know, him talking about calling as well. I've been working a lot on my mouth call, and we'll kind of go into that when we talk about the hunt, how that helped me as well. So the fundamentals he went over was a re really good refresher for me, helped me get a starting point being in a new state and a new lease because I'm originally from South Carolina. I've only been down in the state for about two years now. Um, also really like 233, a recent episode. Uh, you know, it, it gave me a lot of hope. It was just a strut report. I hadn't had a ton of luck scouting. I was starting to think that these birds had moved off the property or maybe they just weren't making noise yet. But, um, you know, the gentleman from South Alabama that spoke on there talked about making aggressive moves, again, focusing on creek bottoms really gave me a lot of hope for opening day and um and some of what he said really put me on that bird that i put down on saturday yeah and i'm curious about the whole strut report too first off shane's episode i i we had a lot of really good responses from shane's episode because the way he breaks stuff down is in a, a very kind of a manageable uh way where he doesn't try to overcomplicate anything which is nice um so mm -hmm. th so i can totally relate with you on that especially how he locates birds we actually had a, another podcast we did with him the first time last year um, or it might have been, God, it might have been 2019. I can't remember. I need to look at the episode number. But it was all about just how to locate turkeys when you're hunting out of state, uh, because he hunts all over yeah. the place, 
on public land, and it, it's really interesting to get his perspective. And like you said, water is like the number one thing he looks at, in like any kind of creek drainages, and then from there finding open areas. So it goes hand in hand together. Um, but you mentioned the strut report, and the strut report. Let me ask, you know, what is kind of like your thoughts on the strut report? Let me. Add, I mean, does it like add value to you? Because I've never asked a listener that. We've just been doing it yeah. for like three years now. But I mean, like, what's like your kind of thought when you listen to the strut report, and uh, you know, kind of what do you take away from it? Yeah, I mean, it was a really interesting episode. Like I said, when I was out scouting, you know, I was finding some fresh tracks, and it was very helpful because I'd go out a day or two after the rain to make sure what I was looking at was fresh. But, um, you know, I'd sit out in my truck and drive around the property and, and let out a, a crow call or an owl hoot right before dark trying to roost birds for probably the last two or three days before the season opened and once or twice a week for about a month before that. And I just it – was, it was silence. And like I was telling you, I was out there – deer hunting and almost every time i was in the deer stand you know i have a group of turkeys come by my trail cameras were just flooded with turkeys um all deer season so i was very very excited and very confident going into the spring like i said this is my first season hunting on this new piece of land um but i was getting a little discouraged there and, and what the short report did for me first and foremost is it really just kind of it sounds cheesy but it gave me some hope i was like i'm not the only one you know maybe having some trouble hearing these birds early on but then you got down to some of the guys here in Alabama talking to them, um, you know, and just sharing their strategies and, and, and sharing what they've heard. And it just gave me a good idea of what's going on in the state and just knowing that the birds are patterning well. They're kind of doing what they usually do this time of year. And it's a little different in South Carolina. Um, I'm talking to a lot of my buddies and listening to the podcast. It sounds like y'all's turkey season down here it tends to really fire up maybe second, third week. In South Carolina, at least the properties I hunted on back there, I mean, if you were going to get a bird on the ground, it was going to be opening week for really two reasons, just pressure on public land and private. And uh, the birds just always seem to be fired up mid-March. Um, so it just gave me an idea of how Alabama works, what the turkeys do, and uh, it helped me get set up on this bird for sure when it came to those guys talking about, you know, focusing on the creek bottoms. That's really where these turkeys are earlier on in the year. They might transition off a little bit later in the season, but right now that's really just where they need to be. Yeah, and one thing you said is, uh, you know, you're talking about, like, how some guys can, you know, might be struggling. And you hear on the short report, you know, some guys just don't have, like, the greatest report. Like, hey, it's just, uh, you know, it's terrible where I'm at right now. Like, I'm not hearing anything, not seeing a whole bunch, uh, you know, super flocked up birds. And I always tell people when I'm uh, reaching out to them about coming on the short report, you know, if as long as you've been getting at, getting after it and, like, you're just like, dude, it's terrible right now. Like, this, there's no gobbling activity. They're hinned up. They're flocked up. Whatever the situation is, I'm like, dude, I want to hear it. I want to talk about it on the show because there's other people out there yeah. going through that same thing. Not everybody's going out there and hearing, you know, 50 gobbles a morning just listening from the truck. Um, you know, there's yeah. a lot of guys out there that are struggling because whatever's happening in their area. So, uh, that's a, that's a good point. And I, I, I like putting that in there. Cause some of you guys, are, Oh man, I don't have a good shirt report. Cause like there's the birds aren't cooperating. I'm like, that's fine. Let's talk about it. Uh, cause there's guys out there like myself that might be going out there struggling. I'm like, man, all these other guys are getting on hot birds, man. Why are my birds not talking? <laughs> well, maybe, you know, for whatever reason, and there's someone that we can have on the show that can really kind of you know, relate with those kind of guys that are, you know, might be struggling or the birds just aren't cooperating where they're at. So that's a, that's a really good point. And that's one thing I really like about the short report. So it's kind of cool how you were able to take some stuff away from the short report, give yourself a little more confidence and go into the, the actual weekend hunt to have some success. But was there anything else from that short report that really kind of clicked for you? Like, Hey, you know, I might want to pay attention to something, you know, kind of opening day or anything like that. If something's not working, I'm going to try to implement something else. Yeah, between just, you know, folks on creek bottoms and, and one gentleman I remember, or I wish I could remember his name, but he talked about, 
just being making aggressive moves on turkeys. And, and he reiterated he doesn't mean, you know, aggressive calls necessarily. But a lot of guys out there, myself included in the past, I think make the mistake of being a little nervous to push a bird or making the wrong move. And before you know it, the bird ends up getting pushed off anyways or it loops around them and comes from behind. And he just he just reiterated that, you know, if it feels right and you've got that good gut feeling and you've got a good setup, don't be afraid to make a quick, aggressive move on these birds. And when we go into into my hunt, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. And that's probably the, the biggest thing that helped me. Not only did the strut pour give me confidence that the birds are out there, gave me confidence to, to make a quick move on a bird and it really paid off. Well, I'm really curious Then we're going to get to your hunt, but what is like your, you're talking about this lease first time you're actually turkey hunting it. Um, what's the kind of yeah. habitat down there? Like what, what kind of give us the lay of the land? Like, what does it look like? Is it mixed kind of hardwoods and, and uh, pines? Is it mostly pines, a little bit open area? Like what kind of, what's the layout of the terrain and habitat? Yeah, it's a, it's a Westervelt lease. Um, so it's a lot of timberland. We've got most, mostly pine trees out there. Um, I want to say it was thinned out maybe five years ago. So they're not, most of it's not real big mature pine trees. There is a lot, it's 1200 acres. I bet you 400 of the 1200 acres is almost, you know, impenetrable because it is so thick, which is a great thing. The deer love it. Um, But it's just, it's a younger thick pine forest, a lot of it. Then we've got some mature pines and then we've got a lot of Creek bottoms. We've got about three different creeks, a couple of them that come together on the property and uh, those creek bottoms, a couple of them have some big mature hardwood forests surrounding them. Uh, again, most of those creek bottoms, so you could just tell the logging company were they were following the rules. And I don't remember how far off the creek they have to stay when they're cutting. But uh, you know, it's not it's it's hardwoods, but it's still pretty thick. Um, and then we've we've been able to clear quite a few food plots. So on the 1,200 acres, we've got maybe 15, 20 green fields, uh, with our biggest one being probably you know, maybe three, four acres, some of them being as small as just, you know, maybe a hundred yards by 50 yards. So that's another thing that kicked in one of those podcasts, him talking about that good 50-50 mix between openings and woods. Now, while our woods are pretty thick, a lot of them, we, we've been able to, to put a lot of green fields out there and create a lot of openings for those birds to come out and, and, and feed in and strut in. So it, it's a it's a pretty good mix. Fantastic. Well, let's kind of get into the hunt. So uh, first off, uh, the night before, well, let me ask, did you kill it open? I can't remember from your message. Was it opening day or was it Sunday you killed them? It was opening morning. Yep. On Saturday. So did you roost any birds, um, Friday night? I did not. So I went out there Friday afternoon, um, you know, did a little bit of last minute scouting, stayed out there past dark, trying to roost birds or just hear something. And, uh, I left real discouraged. I, on one of the green fields, I walked around, I saw some fresh tracks. I knew they were fresh because it had just poured down rain the day before. And there was kind of a little water hole that tends to accumulate on the edge of one of these green fields. And it was just covered in turkey tracks. But other than that, I did not see any sign or hear any birds or roost anything. So that green field I'm talking about, is probably the highest point of our property. So not only was there some sign, but I figured I could start out there. It'd be a good high point. Um, at least, you know, if the birds didn't and weren't close, I'd be able to hear something. All right. So kind of going into opening morning, you know, you go to that high spot and kind of like walk us through like the morning. So you get out there, you start listening to kind of what was the situation? Yeah. So I get out there about, you know, 30, 45 minutes before, for uh, first light. I want to make sure that I had that part of the property to myself. And I'm sitting there and, you know, maybe 20 minutes before you can start to see the wind just starts ripping. And I don't know if anyone else listening out there here in Shelby County can relate to that on opening day. 
But, I mean, it was – the wind was absolutely ripping. I could not hear myself think. I swear if a turkey gobbled at me from 50 yards away, I probably couldn't have heard it. So, I'm sitting there. The sun comes up. It was a pretty morning, but with that wind, um, you know, I just couldn't hear a thing. And and I was thinking to myself, you know, with, with this wind – it just made me think in my head back to those creek bottoms. I knew if I didn't want to be up here, the turkeys probably didn't want to either. I knew they probably roosted down low last night. And, you know, with that wind, not only can the turkeys not hear as well, but it really it impedes their vision uh, with all the, the weeds and the branches and the leaves uh, swinging back and forth. They're not able to pick out movement as well. So I really only sat up on that green field for probably about 10 or 15 minutes and, and knew that I had to make a move. If you live in the South, you get to rifle hunt more than pretty much the rest of the country. With all that rifle hunting can come a lot of damage to your hearing. We all know we need to be protecting our hearing when we're gun hunting, but the use of traditional hearing equipment is not ideal. That rut crazed buck might only give you a split second to get a shot off through the pines, which is never enough time to get your hearing protection on. We all know a suppressor is ideal for that situation, but buying one has always been a long, difficult process until Silencer Central. Silencer Central is the creator of a revolutionary process which silences headaches and hassles. The process is simple and makes sense. It's a process that begins with paperwork without the work and ends with Silencer Central delivering your silencer right to your door. That's right, right to your door. They take care of the government paperwork for you and then send you your silencer when it's ready. Sound too good to be true? Well, learn more about Silencer Central's easy buying process at silencercentral.com or give them a call at 888-988-8179. Every outdoorsman understands the importance of a great knife and we all appreciate U.S. craftsmanship. Bladeswork Unlimited has created a community of bladesmiths to provide you a custom knife that will last generations. Whether you're looking for the perfect knife to use in the field or a new addition to your kitchen cutlery, Bladeswork Unlimited has you covered. Check out their online inventory of custom knives or work directly with one of their 25 plus custom bladesmiths to build your dream knife with the Build a Blade program. Start by choosing your blade style, steel type, and handle material, along with everything in between, all the way down to the sheath. Speak directly with the bladesmith building your knife to fine-tune your exact wishes. Jacob and I both own custom knives and have experienced the benefits of custom work with attention to detail, and Bladeswork Unlimited provides that to their customers. Use the code SOUTHERNOUTDOORS, all one word, at checkout to receive a discount on your custom order. Visit bladeswork.com or go to the link in the description and get a knife tougher than you. Awesome. Dude, that's, yeah, that's a really good point. So you decided to move from there and kind of head to a lower elevation, try to get one of those creek drainages. Was there one that you had in mind just because of, you know, any kind of past history during deer season with sun or what, or how did you decide to go to the creek drainage you actually decided to jump into? Yeah. Like I said, during deer season, I was able to scout a lot and just, you know, get a good understanding of the lay of the land. And I, and I brought up my Onyx app just to kind of start brainstorming and, you know, about a mile into the middle of the property there's not a lot of really good access points i was gonna have to rough it but about a mile in we have a point where three drainages actually come together and and there's a little confluence and they kind of turn into a much bigger creek that holds water year round and down there where where that confluence happens where those three drainages hit um, it's just real flat wet and swampy Um, but i had had a deer stand down there in the fall and that was one of those places where every single time i sat down there i had turkeys moving around so it just kind of made sense. Um, I, I wanted to stay high to a degree uh, to be able to still, you know, not push turkeys, of course, and still be able to hear something with little breaks in the wind. 
Um, but that was kind of my game plan is, like I said, probably about a half mile to a mile in, and I just started heading that direction. All right, great. So you decided to go down there and get into, you know, that kind of habitat type. Did you just instantly get down there and start blind calling, or what did you kind of do to put yourself in the right spot? And maybe before you say that, uh, I guess it might be appropriate. What time did you kill that turkey at? Yeah, that turkey was killed at uh, 7.42. Oh, so this is going to get real interesting. I have, yeah, I, I have the exact time because while the turkey was still flopping on the ground, I, I FaceTime my dad. I always, I always do that whenever he's not hunting with me. So uh, it was a good way to get to document it because by the time – Everything was done. I could not remember what time he was shot. But, uh, I, uh, yeah, I started moving towards that drainage. Like I said, I wanted to stay on some high ground there. So I kind of dipped down one drainage, uh, hopped back up to the top of a, a smaller ridge that kind of hovers over that confluence there. And uh, when I got to the top of that ridge, I, I was waiting for a break in the wind. It was still gusting real hard. But, you know, maybe a 10, 15-second break in the wind came by. And I had my sleigh call out. And, um, you know, with it still being kind of loud with the wind, I didn't go for, you know, a soft, you know, textbook purr. I did a pretty nasty, aggressive you know, call with a bunch of cuts in it and yelps. And as soon as I hit that call, I mean, maybe one or two seconds into the sequence, one just fires off. And uh, he was literally right. I mean, when I envisioned it in my head and I could hear where he's at, he was right there at the bottom of that drainage where those three, three creeks come together. Um, so it's one of those things where sometimes – you just got that gut feeling you need to follow it because it paid off. But this turkey just hammers off. Um, I could tell he's maybe 100, 150 yards down into this drainage. Uh, but he was real excited. So I found closest tree to me, popped down in front of it, kind of pulled a branch in front of me to get a little bit of cover. And that in itself took maybe 15 seconds to do. Uh, whenever I was set up, I let out another call, and he just hammered back. And I could tell that he had literally cut that distance in half at that point. So I put my call down, pop my mouth call in just in case I need to use it, shoulder my shotgun, take the safety off. I you know, point in the direction I think he's coming. Another five seconds later, I now I can't hear him because he's coming straight up a real steep ridge right toward me. But I but I or I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. I just hear crunch, 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 crunch. And uh he was I mean he was on a string just running up this hill straight at me. And another five seconds later I see his head pop up over the ridge. Uh, I could just see his beard and smoked him at what I later measured out to be seven yards. Oh, my gosh, dude. First off, uh, congratulations on holding tight on him at seven yards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it was it was crazy the way I was set up because it was a real tight ridge. It was almost like a knife edge. Mm -hmm. And I was coming up one side of it, and he was coming up the other. And from where I was set up, like I said, I could not see him until he was seven yards away. And his whole body wasn't even visible. It was just – you know, from about the neck up, peeking at me over that ridge. But the coolest part of it was, he, I mean, even with some wet leaves on the ground, I could hear that turkey just hauling up that hill. Um, and it was it was a real cool experience. Now, one thing you said that I, I want to touch on is he was in the he was in the bottom of where three creeks came together, or three drainages came together, and we talked about this on the outro. Andrew talked about this in the outro uh, from this week's episode uh, with Jimmy Styles uh, about uh, the youth season and kind of you know. Andrew's writing this big article uh, for a monthly newsletter about uh, these terrain features and like what we're talking about in deer season, what would be like a thermal hub where you have a bunch of drainages kind of mm -hmm. coming together where it's three, four, five, six. The biggest one I've ever seen was five drainages coming together in one spot. 
and it's a perfect gobbling location for a gobbler. He can get down there, he can gobble and project his gobbles through all those drainages and cover a lot of ground or get up on the little high knob just above that stuff. So that was interesting mm-hmm. how he went in there and you kind of had an idea that that was a spot that might already hold a bird. And definitely, for any of the listeners out there, that is something that Andrew's talked a lot about, that you can literally find that stuff on a map, especially like a topo map, if you know, you've know never been to a spot, and go in there, and especially if there's a decent number of birds in there, find a gobbler normally in that spot. Andrew's hunted a lot of places blind and had a lot of success with that. So uh, that's really, really cool. That's something that you mentioned that I think is a huge takeaway for everybody, not even listening now, but just people in the future, that that's something definitely key in on, especially in the day, like you said, it's super windy. You know, most likely a gobbler, as long as it's not real thick down in there, uh, he's going to be in a spot like that where, you know, even if it's windy, he might be just strutting going back and forth and you can pull, get close enough, kind of like what you did, let out that uh, subtle call and uh, and get him to run in and commit suicide. It seems like, yeah. Well, I was gonna let, I was keep going because I'm I'm really curious. You talking about this knife edge ridge, which is I was just talking to another buddy of ours uh, and a listener to the show about uh, there's a certain spot in Alabama that we hunt this public land that there's a ton of these knife edge ridges and it's very challenging to try to kill a turkey there because it's open on both sides, wide open on both sides, and they're big ridges. So I mean, you can see a bird from 150 yards out. So um, that was interesting how you were able to make it happen just on top of that little ridge and, and get a you know really close shot taken out. Yeah, I mean it's a it's so it's a long ridge. If you're looking at it, you know, up and down, it's probably you can see probably about 150 yards. We've got actually got a tree stand set up on the end of one of it, and then the top of that ridge is just narrow enough to get a four wheeler down essentially. And we usually plant that during deer season, um, you know, with something. But it's it's just wide enough to get a four wheeler down. You couldn't even drive a truck down it because really it's that steep on both sides. It's it's a drop off. So you can look up and down that ridge pretty far, but the way I came from it was kind of perpendicular. So I came up the side of that ridge, and that turkey was on the opposite side. So I set up just high enough to kind of be able to see over the road, and the turkey did the same thing. He came from the opposite side. So the first thing I saw, obviously, was his head pop up. Um, But I was so close to that bird and didn't have the best setup because it all happened so fast. Like I said, I dragged a branch out in front of me to try to get a little cover, but I was pretty open. And when that turkey's head popped up, he made just about direct eye contact with me. So if I would have waited for, for his full body to kind of become exposed, I honestly don't know if I would have got that bird or not. So um, it was just a, a real cool opportunity, kind of like both of our heads just kind of popped up on either side of the ridge looking at each other. Yeah, definitely one thing that helps in that situation is, uh, you know, we talked a lot this uh, this year, this season, about like hiding the hen uh, with, you know, Scott Ellis talks about that. And we've been implementing that now for a few years now after talking to Scott and really understanding how he uses the the term hide the hen of hide yourself where he has to come and find you and get within shotgun range before mm-hmm. he can see you. And now that was a close encounter hide the hen situation, but that's exactly what happened where that turkey had to come up. He heard it. He thought he heard a hen and he had to come up and over the top of it to see her and, and get to her. Um, and it, you know, if you were on the other side of that ridge and you were maybe already set up at the top of that ridge, he probably, and he, you know, could hear you. He might've just stopped and strutted and stuff at the bottom of the ridge and never even came up there. Cause he thought, you know, if, if the hen is up on top or on my side of the ridge, she should be able to see me. Exactly. It was very tempting when he gobbled off the first time to just sneak real slow kind of over the other side. So I'd be able to see down in there and and check out what was going on, but it's pretty open down in that part of the bottom. 
and uh and I was just real nervous that he was either going to hear me or see me so I kind of played hard to get like you said and, and didn't let him he could hear me but he certainly couldn't see the area that he pinpointed uh you know where he thought the hen was at so it, it just it worked out perfectly really well, Jeff, what is uh, some of the takeaways that you kind of learned from this experience, you know, kind of having that hunt play out? You know, what are some of the uh, takeaways and what are some things you're definitely going to be like, hey, I'm going to make sure I'm going to do this again or try this again in another situation in the future? Yeah, uh, one thing I haven't mentioned yet, and it's kind of a fundamental, but you guys have had several guests and yourselves, I believe, have mentioned this in some of your turkey podcasts, is um, the fact that it's a lot easier to call a bird uphill than downhill. And most guys know that at turkey hunt, but for beginners, they, they may not have caught onto that yet. So even when you're focusing on these, on these creek bottoms, which is my other takeaway, you know, you might not necessarily, depending on the lay of the land and the terrain, you know, want to get low to start out with, you know, focus on the creek bottoms themselves, but still kind of stay high enough to be able to, to strategize, be able to hear and be able to stay out of, uh, you know, their direct vision. Um, but, you know, other than that, trying to call them uphill, focusing on, on the on the drainages and making sure that you're close to water if uh, especially if you're going in blind for a couple of those guys who maybe haven't had the opportunity to go out yet and haven't done a lot of scouting like you said it's it's something you can do on a map i mean i was out there and i had scouted but uh in the end the reason i decided to go to that area was because i had my onyx app out and i just you know remembered that confluence down there where those drainages came together so there's a lot of strategies that you can do from home as well uh to you know get you a little bit close to a bird when it's time to go yeah that's fantastic dude i mean that's like that's the thing is you know it's all about experience and that's any of the guys that we ever interview it's all about the experience how they get to the point they're at now whether somebody's 25 years old or someone is 65 years old is this the time they put in the woods and how much experience they have for however old they are um and the experiences like that and kind of what you learn is you know invaluable um, and be able to k- take that stuff away and apply that now to future hunts, you know, maybe in the next coming days, uh, where you can kind of continue to learn off that. And that's, again, how you grow as an outdoorsman, you grow as a hunter, and become more successful like some of the people that we interview. Um, so that's a really good point. And definitely, every situation you're out there and you spend time in the woods, you should always be learning something. Either what to do and what not to do. Or, again, this is a different Absolutely. situations. And, I mean, that was an absolute awesome thing that you did where you kind of took away different things that you had kind of just learned on your own, kind of heard about and everything else, and a little bit of stuff from the show, and applied it like, hey, the birds aren't going to be up here in this, you know, kind of on this open, you know, exposed ridge top in this high winds. They're probably going to be down low. You knew a spot from deer season and kind of scout and look at your maps that, hey, it's pretty open hardwoods, you know, kind of steep stuff, you know, big um, kind of big drainages kind of coming together. Um, it, it made the move and that absolutely just paid off. And then, you know, the seal of the deal, hide the hen and that turkey did not know what hit him until either that letter TSS took his face off. It sounds like. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. That is right. Well, Jeff, do you have, let me ask, uh, to kind of wrap it up. Do you have any, uh, final things you want to say or mention on the show, uh, before we kind of wrap this, uh, listener success story up? Um, no, I want to thank you guys for all, all the good turkey podcasts you put out. You know, they definitely helped me. I know they've, they've helped a lot of other people as well. And congratulations out there to those listening who've already had some success. And, and best of luck to those guys who haven't and are, are getting ready to go out this week or next weekend. 
Perfect. Well, Jeff, thanks again for coming on, man, sharing your story. And uh, best of luck for all the other turkey hunters out there, especially as these seasons open up. Uh, and I guess until next time, guys, uh, make sure you tune in for Monday's episode. But if you do have success, kind of like Jeff, you know, listen to the show. There's different things, different takeaways that you kind of learn and apply. And maybe you have success killing a bird. Shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram. Let us know what had happened, what episodes have been impactful for you, and maybe we'll choose you as a future listener success story. So thanks again, Jeff, and best luck to you for the rest of the season. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.